The CBF podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. 2020 is off to a great start for the CBF podcast with guests like Father Thomas Reese, Soon Cheng Ra, and Casey Van Norman. We also have a lot of exciting episodes ahead, including interviews with Eugene Cho, Sarah Bessie, and our week in D.C. at Advocacy in Action. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendorf for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Uh, As of this week, April 21st, states across the country are starting to announce new restrictions and modifications of the stay-at-home orders from the COVID-19 pandemic. And when we emerge into this new normal, the church will need to rethink short-term and long-term practices it engages each day, and especially each Sunday. Uh, To help with this conversation, I want to welcome Carrie Veal, the Minister of Children and Community Life at Myers Park Baptist Church. Brian Foreman, the Executive Director and Center for Church and Community at Campbell University, and Josh Spate, CBS Manager of Leadership Development. Thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks for having us. Now, before we get to our conversation about how churches need to emerge out of this crisis, uh, let's talk about some of the best practices that churches have learned during this crisis. Carrie, I wonder if you'll talk with us about some of the things that y'all are doing well as you try to lead your church during this very unusual time. Sure. Well, let me start by saying that um, we learned immediately that we were a little behind the curve where technology was concerned. Um, we have, that's not been a high priority for us in the past. And so there were some of us who were pretty comfortable with doing recording and, and online virtual gatherings. 
and then others on staff who were not very comfortable, and the same was true among our congregation. But very quickly, we shifted from being in person together to virtual opportunities. So for children, I created two Sunday school lessons a week, um, one for preschool age and one for elementary age that follows the curriculum that we've already been using. We moved our um, community Wednesdays from on our campus to online and have continued that practice um, every week. And then worship has been um, live streamed um, the first couple of weeks. And then as the shelter in place order went into effect in North Carolina, we moved that to doing pre-recording um, and we send that out. Um, we, we do it live through Facebook. Um, but it's pre-recorded just to give our folks the opportunity to still hear and see us in different circumstances. Some of us have filmed on campus. Some of us have filmed in our homes. Some of us have filmed outside somewhere. Um, so those are just some of the basic things. And then I've done um, some hangouts with kids, whether it's just, let's just get together and have lunch or it might be a virtual scavenger hunt where I give them things around their house that they need to find. And we're doing online Bible studies and we've even moved our um, meditation to online. We're offering that three times a week through Zoom as well. So we've, we've very quickly just figured out what can we move that's been on campus into the virtual world and how can we do that well. And we've gotten really tremendous response from our folks feeling like um, we haven't just completely forgotten them. Now, Brian and Josh, you're both in unique positions in the fact that you don't serve a local church, but you're part of a local church and you're a part of helping train and equip ministers who are serving local churches. So what are some of the best practices that you've heard out of ministers and congregations that they've, they've done well uh, during this COVID-19 crisis? So I, I think what Carrie said is really important and not to miss, and that's that congregations are more adaptable than they thought. So in a lot of ways, we're, we're developing these new ideas and new strategies, these new best practices kind of on the fly. And in some places, churches are emulating what others are doing, and some are uh, finding their way on their own. And I think that's what's one of the best practices that I've noticed are that churches are doing what is contextually appropriate for them. Not everybody has the budget to afford a production team, uh, nor should they. Not everybody should stay in their sanctuary and record their services there. So watching churches find ways to do things that are contextually appropriate for them has been really interesting to me. Along that same line, uh, they're also trying to connect with where their folks already are. So rather than try to get them to all move to a new platform or, or a, new, um, a new service or something like that, oftentimes they're trying to find ways to connect with where they know most of their people are already present in, in the digital world. So I think that's helping in a lot of ways. And then I think some of the other best practices that we're seeing are people trusting their creativity and being willing to make mistakes. Um, we're, we're building the plane while we're flying it. Everything's not going to go perfect. Everything's not going to be uh, spot on. So uh, I think one, one of the key best practices is this creativity 
It's a willingness to fail, and it's the grace to forgive ourselves in the midst of it. Josh, what about you? What are you seeing? Yeah, I'll add, um, I think creativity is a good word. Uh, um, I think it is important to um, name that all of our ministers and churches have done a huge shift in the last uh, month and a half or so from being building and program focused um, to now being online and doing uh, work that is really about the people and with the people. Um, and that's been fun to watch um, and to watch people, as, as both Brian and Kerry said, um, w- doing what they can and being creative uh, and w- being willing to make mistakes. Um, one of our good friends that we all know is known for saying, we'll get it perfect next time. And I love that saying, and I think it's really uh, resonating now as our churches are trying to figure out how to do some work that they perhaps weren't doing or always put off because it wasn't going to be perfect. And now they have to do it. And they're figuring out that they have the energy, the capacity, and the creativeness to do it. And so that's been fun to watch. Um, For those that don't know, I live with a minister, and I've enjoyed watching behind the scenes in my home as that has been happening and seeing the amount of work that goes into um, all of this changing, as well as watching and listening to her um, call various people and do her ministry by phone. And as the husband, I've not had the chance to really watch her in a long time do that ministry. But now that I get to listen to her, and I know I know other ministers who are doing that and doing the intentional um, calling of people, which is something maybe we've put to the side before. It's been nice to watch, and I think that that is a good practice that's being remembered and being picked back up. Yeah, certainly. I I think. Uh a best practice has forced the church to realize for many congregations that struggle to adapt and to change is that um, maybe the processes that we thought were so important, uh, the things that we held so sacred aren't that important. And um, adaptation and discernment and leadership of the spirit of God, as we face um, not just this crisis, but certainly face the day-to-day operations and mission and vision of a church um, is important. And so I, th- I think churches are learning um, that one of the best practices is they need to continue to be adaptable, to continue to be flexible, continue to be creative, and continue to be open to, to new possibilities. Um, w- what do you think are some of uh, these best practices that churches have said, you know, it's worked during the crisis. Maybe we need to continue to do this even when we're past this crisis. Uh, Brian, I don't know if you're hearing of that from, from any ministers. Yeah, I think there's some, I think there's a lot of discussion around that and some of it is, is really positive, but some of it is also a little bit anxiety producing. Uh, So let me start with the positive because that's what you asked about. Um, uh, This, this idea of finding that there are, with each technological advancement we move to, to provide content, there's a segment of our population that we're leaving behind. There's, there's something that, that we used to do that we're not doing any longer. Uh, and so, so a lot of clergy that I've talked to are finding ways to bring some folks forward to use the new technology, but they're also starting to, to use some of the things that they hadn't used in the past. And so asking the question of uh, how do I make sure that I'm ministering to my whole church, not just those who uh, can use Zoom video conferencing or not just those who are on Facebook or not just those who read the printed newsletter, 
but how am I ministering to my whole church? So I think that's one of the, the pieces uh, that's been really positive. I think another one that's been really positive is something Carrie alluded to about the number of things that they're doing online now. Um, you know, when you think about time being such a commodity for people, we sometimes forget that a one-hour Bible study on a Wednesday night for somebody who lives in an urban setting uh, may involve about a two-and-a-half to three-hour commitment between travel and arriving on time and the, the conversation that happens afterwards and then, and then the drive back home. And all those pieces are important, but sometimes they're also obstacles because of the, the time commitment that it, that it really requires. And so how do, we, how do we begin to provide some of these things in ways that, that make them more accessible to folks based on a time issue as much as anything else? So I think there's some really interesting questions that have to be wrestled with and answered as, as we continue to learn in the midst of all of this. And I think the flip side of all of that is what do I, what do I know to let go of that we previously were doing or that we shouldn't continue to do just because it was successful during uh, a pandemic time. You know, so I think that's the anxiety producing piece of it is just because something is working now, do we continue doing it? Because I hear a lot of ministers say, and, and I hear teachers say it even more often, and that's I'm working harder than I've ever worked before. Uh, so, so it's going to be a really interesting balancing act of what the expectations are for clergy uh, when we get back to, to um, non-stay-at-home orders in our churches. Josh, what are some of those practices you're hearing people talk about they need to continue moving forward? What I'm hearing is I think that working, you know, online and doing virtual pieces um, are things that I know a lot of ministers want to continue, but at the same time, they know the, the energy that's going towards it right now is not sustainable. Um, so I think finding a, a balance between, you know, doing that work and inviting more people in that can't be in the building is a good practice. Um, I also think that thinking more about, like Brian said, about those who can't be there, um, who can't join is a good piece. And I want people to think, uh, I think ministers need to think more about who is being left out or what is our, how is what we offer uh, it, prohibiting someone from joining us or being a part. And I think, you know, working through Zoom and technology has reminded people that not everybody is, is able to do all that work. And um, I think it's a good, a good reminder and a practice. I hope that our ministers will carry forward. Carrie, as you think about this, what, what are some of the practices your church has said, hey, we want to continue this after this? Um, well, I think one of the biggest pieces is um, as we sort of add a little bit to our um, video production each week, we have added um, some, not full closed captioning, but we've added some text. So instead of you seeing a person reading the scripture, you hear their voice and it's the printed scripture on the screen. So that's something that we definitely said that we want to add. But um, something that, that both Brian and Josh alluded to on, around the topic of who's being left out it was something that I brought up last week in a, in a meeting was that I am seeing an interesting turnout in my gatherings where 
for children um, or for parents only where families are really struggling with what they can participate in just like they were when it was on campus only it's a little bit of a different struggle now because while it's not I have to pick up this child from here and this child from there and I have to leave my job and get all the timing right it's um, I am trying to work full-time and I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and their daycare is closed and my partner is also trying to work full-time and we're both at home and we have no in-home child care um, and so while we love all these things that the church is offering we are just not able to participate in any of them because we're trying to get from point A to point B um, which is basically you know kids are up kids go to bed <laughs> um, during the day and so it, it what it reminded me of was that every time we do offer something on our campus and we want um, parents to participate that we make sure that there is something that we're offering for their children and it doesn't have to be elaborate it can be childcare for young ones and a movie night for older ones but making sure that that um, that that we're removing all possible barriers. Um, so in this time, you know, we're learning about those who have a technology barrier um, that might feel left out, um, but we're also learning about those who might have a logistical um, kid barrier that they're having to figure out how to work out. So it's, it's just a really, um, it's just, it's a really interesting time for us to be working through what are our best practices. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. I've been joking a lot recently uh, with folks that, you know, when we come back to whatever this new normal looks like, that we certainly can't live into Paul's words that we should greet one another with a, with a holy kiss. Um, <laughs> you know, but there are practices that the church does every Sunday morning, um, whether that be the simplicity of a handshake or, or coffee stations or, uh, fellowship greeting at the beginning of worship. Um, you know, so maybe let us turn to what are, what are some of those old practices for Sunday mornings that, that need to be delayed, that need to be altered, or, or maybe need to be even changed forever as a result of, of this virus? Um, Josh, we'll, we'll start with you. I think a lot of the things that we are used to are going to have to change or be very slow to, to bring back. And, and those are simple things that we never really thought about, but 
simply, you know, having greeters at the front door um, and what that looks like, um, thinking through how that process needs to be, whether or not Sunday schools need to gather again in person, because you're putting a lot of people in a closed amount, closed space. And that's going to be a hard thing to think about, even if we're in the building for worship. Um, how are we going to sanitize our building on the go rather than taking care of it during the week so that um, we're not in unintentionally passing along something um, that this virus has you know, shown us that it's easy to pass along a sickness unintentionally? Um, you know, and that also includes, you know, our worship practices of, of passing the plate and doing communion and really are going to have to put more thought into how that is going to work and what are ways that maybe we can celebrate those acts that are important to our faith, but not have to endanger anyone that comes and, and does worship in a, in a uh, not in a virtual capacity. So I think those are some of the things I've thought about. Um, I think there are other churches that are starting to think about. Um, and it, it, there's going to continue, that list is going to continue to grow. Gary, uh, what are some things that y'all are thinking about right now about when we come back, what you need to change and alter and, and maybe not do anymore? Um, I think that we're definitely thinking about how many um, people to try and, to try and sit on pews together. Um, Small groups are definitely a, a big conversation as well as cleaning. I think, you know, Josh nailed both of those things pretty easily. Um, but we, to be very honest, we haven't quite gotten that far down the road um, because we just sort of know that we're going to be in sort of where we are right now for a little bit longer. Um, but I think that we're, I think that we're all aware that, you know, um, every, you know, kind of, you know, the, the idea of almost everything is probably going to have to change. Um, you know, all of, all of the ministers leaving the chancel and going down and high-fiving um, with the threes and fours as they're getting ready to leave, it's probably going to have to go away. Um, and some of that's just very, um, is just hard because it's, how do you undo something that just comes so naturally? Um, and especially if you are someone who is comfortable with, you know, with, with touch. Um, but I think it's, I think those are the things that, that it's not just going to be a retraining of our ministers, but it's going to be a real retraining of our congregants um, to think about, you know, yes, you've always been able to walk this certain path to get from your Sunday school classroom to the sanctuary, but this path takes you near children's space and maybe you don't need to go near that children's space for your safety and theirs. Is what makes me think we don't need to rush to being back on campus together because those are not the kinds of things you can just decide on a Tuesday, oh, okay, well on Sunday, we're all back, um, we're all back together and we're all, you know, and, and hey, everybody, um, make sure you read your email because then that's going to be all of the protocols that we're now going to have to follow. Um, it's just, I think it's just going to have to be a really, really intentional rollout process. Brian? I think this is going to be very hard for people at the beginning uh, to, to adjust to whatever the new normal is, whatever the new practices are coming out of this. I also think they're going to be more diligent 
at the beginning as well of trying to adhere to those things. But I do wonder if, if we're asking people to make such a fundamental shift in the way they relate to each other and express that, um, that, that we're not going to do it over time. Um, <clears throat> my, um, my, style is touch. I shake hands, I bump fists, I high five, I give hugs. I, all of those things are expressions of, um, of love for me and how I share it with others. And that's really important. And I don't know that over the long haul, if, if folks like me are trainable to, to, to abandon that because it makes me feel less than genuine. It makes me feel less than authentic. Uh, and I wonder if there are people who will be caught in that tension as well. Um, <clears throat> because we've related to each other for so long as church, as a people who pass the peace, as a people who offer hugs, we support each other during times of grief and celebration with those very, um, those very physical ways. So how are we going to stop doing that? And I, I don't know that, I don't know that we'll be able to, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't take safeguards and precautions to do things like what Carrie and Josh were suggesting, things like cleaning our church as we go, um, <clears throat> considering how we, what our, our practices are. I mean, you know, thanks, there are some churches who are probably celebrating, thinking, hey, we have people spread out all over the sanctuary every Sunday because we can't fill it. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was probably inappropriate, but, <laughs> um, but how, but how, how do we keep people feeling safe? I think is a big question. Um, but if I'm watching people storm the beaches as they have been since some of the beaches have reopened, I just don't think human nature is going to allow people to make the types of shifts that uh, long-term they may need to if we continue a cycle of COVID-19 or other similar types of uh, viruses. Yeah, I mean, I've I've kind of... Uh, grinned a little bit at the people who said, you know, this is the end of, of the handshake. You know, this, this is an unbelievable season we find ourselves in. Um, This too will pass and we learn from it. It doesn't mean that we can't return back to some things. It just means not now. Um, And and I think the other thing I would add to the pieces y'all have added to this is ministers need to create spaces for people to mourn the loss of these things that they are so used to doing. Um, you know, the, the loss of passing the peace, the loss of maybe having, not having communion for several weeks, um, months even, um, giving people the space and the grace to be able to work through their emotions um, of that loss. Because I think a lot of people are going to come out of this crisis with these bands lifted, ready to get back to normal. And then they're going to come to their congregations and we're going to say, eh, not yet. Um, and I think that's going to be difficult for a, a lot of people. Um, maybe take us in kind of a different direction here. Uh, you know, connectivity is, is so important for churches. And certainly a lot of churches have found ways to connect with one another on a daily and weekly basis whether that be through, you know, daily check-in calls or Sunday school and spiritual formation groups that they're a part of over video chat. Um, But when we come back together, um, how can we 
best spark community within our church after these, these, uh, this, this crisis we face. Um, Brian, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, um, I think it's a difficult question. And for me, it's, it's one that I wrestle with because, um, I mean, for one, what are people going to be comfortable with? Um, are, are, what, are they, what are others going to rush towards? Um, you know, some, some folks are ready to, to gather in mass assemblies today, and others are sitting there thinking, I'm not going out of my house without a mask and gloves and the vac- until there's a vaccine. Uh, th- th- those are going to create some awkward situations in community when we are able to gather back, uh, depending on what the restrictions look like, right? So, um, but I think there are really creative ways that we can do it, and, and we're seeing it already with, with the parades, uh, the, the car parades that are being done by teachers, and then I've seen it being done for nonprofits or, or for birthdays and all of those things. So we're, we're finding ways to to celebrate and do community. Uh, it, it's, it's just that it's having to come out of some pretty creative spaces. And I think it's okay for us to, to beg, steal, and borrow from what we see online or what we see other uh, groups doing. Um, but by and large, I think, I think the ways that we do it are pretty much limited, only limited by our creativity. Carrie, what about you? Yeah, I was sitting here just nodding at, at, at a lot of what Brian was saying that I think that we will have to be really creative. And I also think that um, we have to think about that um, that whatever church A comes up with, church B is going to come up with something really different. And neither church needs to feel like what the other church is doing is better or worse or, um, and, and kind of get away from this competition style, which is something that um, I know several of us in my ministry circle have struggled with, is um, feeling like we can't do um, what another church is doing. Um, but I think that we're, I think we will have to be creative. And I think that um, it might be that, you know, we're in, you know, we're on our campus, but we, um, have, it, it, I think it's the possibility of some true intergenerational opportunity um, to say, okay, we're going to have 10 people in this room and here's who, you know, here are the, it's these two families and then, um, and we want y'all just to be together and in a safe way, but also being able to have community and share what is, what your life is, is like right now. Um, because I think Brian's right. I think, you know, I have families that before anything was really going on, they were already prepared to pull their kids out of school because of things they were seeing um, around the virus. And then we had others who um, were like, I, you know, will they just, will they just reopen schools um, so that we can at least get our kids educated the way that they need to be. Even this and they're not naysayers about anything, but, um, you know, just needing to be prepared that, like you were saying a little while ago, Andy, that the things that have always been true may not be true and that you, you, you can foster community in ways that you might not have imagined before. Um, and we're just going to have to sort of, you know, be creative about that. 
Josh, any words on this? Yeah, I wish like kind of where Brian was, I wish there was an answer or something that I've already thought about here that just is going to solve it for all of us. But I think that's, that is the real dilemma we're all facing, not just as churches, but as, you know, our institutions, our schools, our doctor's offices, um, you know, sports, all those places mm -hmm. are dealing with is, is we can't, we can't just say, you know, now it's lifted, everybody go back to how it was, nor can we assume that everyone's going to be comfortable with that. And I think the ministers and the churches have a real responsibility to model um, caution, to model uh, what it's like to have fear, but to be courageous in fear, and to not do what feels right, but to do right, what is, is, a, is right in the situation. Um, there's going to be a quick pull for people to just go back like it was. And that's, that's not a, the safest option. And I hope that our churches will consider that they are a, a public voice in this. Um, we often hear churches say they've lost the ability to speak in the public square. Wow, what a time to speak now, to model safety, to model caution, to model ways for us to care about our neighbor in such a way that doesn't put them at risk just because our government has said, go back to life as normal. Um, so I think this is for time for creativity, time for, for not even just our ministers, but to listen to the people that make up our church that are also going to have great ideas and ways that maybe we've never thought of or we haven't done before. Um, and so to be willing to be, to take some chances, uh, in that sense. I think that's one of the frustrating things for leaders in this crisis is there's there's so much uncertainty and, and you want to put your foot down. You want to make a decision. You want to implement something that's going to be healthy uh, for your churches, for your staff. And you just don't know. Um, but one thing we do know is that after this crisis, um, there's going to be an opportunity for the church to connect with the greater community around it for, for people who've experienced trauma uh, through this crisis. Um, so what are some of the healthy ways that churches can contemplate connecting with their neighbors who have maybe not had healthy community like the church uh, through this experience? Um, uh, Brian, we'll start with you. I think <clears throat> one of the key things that, that we have to be able to do as people of God uh, is to be honest, um, honest about our own fears, honest about our own anxieties, um, uh, honest about where we have questions about what we've seen in the, the national dialogue, regardless of party affiliation, um, and focus back on that sense of uh, recognizing that we are charged to love our neighbor and, and what that means. Uh, and, and far too often, um, I, I don't know that we always have done that well before, an, before a pandemic um, or, or even during it. Um, I think this gives us an opportunity to hit a bit of a reset button to act with, with greater compassion, to try to understand the perspective of the person who, whose politics or um, choices we disagree with um, 
it doesn't mean that we have to be nice to everyone, right? Um, you know, that word nice. Um, but, it, but how can we be respectful? How can we be honest? How can we be loving? Um, and I think that's what, what people are going to look for from the church is this sense of uh, authenticity and realness. We don't have the answers in the midst of this. And there are people out there saying that this is God's judgment on humanity or this, is, this was done because God is angry about X, Y, or Z. Or they're saying God's just going to take care of us. I mean, and, and, I, and I, man, I wish I had the type of faith that said, I, it, it, you know, I'm not worried about it. God's not going to let me get sick. Um, I, I'm not there. <laughs> I wish I was. And, um, but there are people who, who are there. And, and so uh, how, how do we create in conversations with our neighbors who look at somebody like that and say, I can't, I can't deal with a person like that. Um, I mean, those are some of the, I think those are some of the traumatic pieces of this for the church. Uh, I think at the life, at the, the life issue where there's life and death and grieving and people asking questions about how did, why did God let this happen to my loved one or to my family? Um, those are not new questions for the church, but they're certainly being asked in a new space. And again, we have an opportunity to hit a bit of a reset button in how we choose to address those questions. And we can address them and answer them with honesty and dignity, um, or, or we can or we cannot. And, and that would be a shame. Josh? Yeah, what I'm very aware of during this is those we are already you know we're, we're seeing the numbers of people who have died and often we forget those numbers all represent a person and a family and typically the church is able to lead in offering a space to grieve and to mourn and to celebrate life and right now that's not occurring and i think the church is going to have to figure out ways to give space to that just like i think we talked about earlier of uh, being able to grieve what has been lost with events and parts of our life. I, th I think the hardest thing right now is that people are losing loved ones and can't grieve the way we are used to grieving um, by having a limited amount of people in a funeral or even delaying the funeral. And um, that's not just people who are dying to the virus, but people are just dying for all the reasons that they typically die. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that the church has got to think about how to, how to foster a place where people can feel like their grief was, wasn't, was, isn't less than, or um, was pushed aside because of this virus and to honor the people that have died and will, and are dying and will die. Um, and so I think that's a very specific way the church has got to um, be, be creative in this and helping people find their way and to come alongside the community who maybe doesn't look at the church to lead that or doesn't think the church has a role to play in grief um, and can, can invite people in that typically may not have heard this three months ago. Carrie, bring us a final word on how we can connect in, to our community and love our neighbors after this crisis. Um, I think one of the things that is happening in a lot of churches, I would imagine because it's, it's happening in ours, is we're seeing um, we're seeing a an emergence of people who either we knew or did not know were living in fragile situations and their fragility um, 
that, that this um, sheltering in place, the virus, all of that has made their fragility even more fragile. And we're, we're seeing that. And I think if, if we can take a step back and say, we're seeing this within our own church community, where else is this happening in our community? Um, whether it's, you know, domestic violence or child abuse or, um, um, you know, you are a member, you, you're, you know, you're a member of the LGBTQ community and your, your house is not safe. Your, your family is not safe. Um, and when I, when I think it becomes super personal like that within your own church, it makes you aware of, it's not just here among these families, it is in the broader community and how can we respond and be there for those other fragile folks um, who need to feel the same love and support that we were able to show our folks. Um, and I, I, think, I think that's a beautiful opportunity for the church to, um, to think about ministering, ministering to those um, who it's really hard to minister to um, because they're there are no cut and dry and simple answers. Um, and sometimes the best thing you can do is just um, sit there and, and literally be present. Well, thank you for your unique ways that you are leading through this crisis and for the wisdom you brought to our conversation today. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.